All right, social media family. Thank you once again for joining us for another installment in the Discipling Through Philippians series. Now, I hope I got the lesson title right on the web, on the um, Facebook page. I think it's lesson three tonight. So we are going to start. Let's go to Philippians chapter one. Philippians one. And we're going to start at verse 21. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll start at verse 20, and then we'll go down to verse 24. For Philippians chapter 1, 20 to 24. And I'll, I'll read that in the old school King James first. And it reads like this. And remember, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church of Philippi. It says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I walk not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. All right, now I'm going to read this. Read that in the New Living Translation. It makes it a little, little plainer here. Starting the first is second. Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Philippians 1 to 20 to 24. Okay. And the New Living Translation reads like this. He says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past. And I trust in that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Verse 21, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Now, as you listen to this and you read how Paul is speaking here, do you sense any fear of death mm -mm. in him? Mm -mm. Okay. Scared of nothing. Yeah. Now, being honest, how many of us can speak as boldly as he is right here? Yeah, he's healthy. When I was sick in the hospital and had tubes in me, to depart looked really good. <laughs> but I think a healthy man that says that, I don't know. Yeah. He got to know something. Yeah, he does. He, he, he has to be he fully persuaded and have a, a, an acquaintance or a, a knowledge, experiential knowledge of what is awaiting him on the other side. I guess it's like such a deep love and relationship with God that they're just like cool 
I'll pull here, I'll pull there, I'll pull anywhere. Now, I'm looking at my outline here. And go ahead, Kevin, I'll follow up after you. No, I was just going to say, you know, um, it these passages of scriptures have given me a, a better understanding of like loved ones and and um, friends of loved ones who have passed away, who are of age, you know, many times. And I'm reminded of this passage of scripture and and I've used it to you know to to comfort and console you know a friend or family member is that at that when you're older and as Gene said when he had all those tubes up and well when you're an older person you know you you know you you got your kids you know you got grandkids maybe even some great grands you know pretty much you know your life majority of life behind you that your spirit actually really is desiring to depart and be with Christ. So when your body has become that weak, has become weakened and tired and, you know, you kind of start probably more agreeing, you know, with that spirit more so than in your flesh because your flesh really is, you know, don't really have a lot of power at that time. Whereas when you're 30 years old, you know, you're like, you know, it's got a lot of energy, a lot of power. But when you're 85, not so much. I'm glad you said that. I agreed with you, but my wife didn't agree at all with what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would agree to you at the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Paul was not selfish. He preferred the people. <laughs> Yeah. Every time the vampire uh -huh. came in the room, they're the ones right. to take blood from you. That's right. My blood would turn cold. And I would think, man, heaven's looking better all the time. So we'll just get you home. You'll be all right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the thing about it is, you know, what this time we have on earth is but a vapor. Just think about it, you know, 70, 80, 100 years. Versus eternity or forever. Yes. Like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but that just kind of my brain just goes, it can't mm -hmm. go there. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you, once you are born and you're, you, you have consciousness, you are in this realm of time and space. And everything is, is clocked. It is measured. By time, days, weeks, months, years, decades. But we're talking about transitioning from that place to the place of everlasting, never ending. And we are going to be in the presence of love, pure, unadulterated mm. love throughout all eternity. That that just it is my the, the, this this can't handle all that. And he let me see he let me see heaven for about a minute or two one time in a vision, and that really gave me a hunger to be there. Because when you're there, I mean it's it's there's no description paradise that doesn't doesn't even come close to describing it. I mean the flowers hum and sing and the grass makes noise. And 
everything's in harmony and it's just unbelievable. Wow. I would imagine if you're 85 years old and get a glimpse of that, there's probably no turning back. I'm 76, I'm getting close to it. <laughs> I'm going to tell my wife at 85, I'm going to have my ticket out of here. <laughs> she ain't going to have no part of that. <laughs> now, see, this is why you go the other route. It's like, you know, we got to get this gospel out just to, to, yeah. to hasten yeah. his, his return so we can get raptured yeah. up and we don't have to worry about all that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, to be honest, I don't think there's a person here who hasn't had that day when you say, oh, it'd just be so much easier. You know, could I just close my eyes and be there? Because of all the battles. But I always come back to exactly what he said. Lord, if there's anybody on this earth that I can still help, that my life would make a difference to. If I'm going to forever be with you, what does it hurt to be here a few more days, months, or years? Unless you're, right? on, unless I mean, you're back in the hospital bed. Versus a few more years. Right. It, it, it depends on how much suffering you're doing. Yeah. If you're really suffering, you know. You see what I got the notes in my Bible I wrote just 20 years ago? It was his choice to stay or go. You know? Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Because a lot of times when you hear about death, and I even hear Christians talk that way, like, well, you know, when it's my time come going, no, and then I mean, I talk that way, but he's something like I got a choice here. He did. He had a choice. I don't, he's something torn. I don't. You know, I want to stay here for y'all because I got more work to do. But heaven looks really, really good, and so, but and when I had that stroke, I could have died. I mean, I was at right there at that place, but I chose not to. When you're satisfied, you, know? you can go. Yeah, but I mean, he was like, you know. Like okay, I, I can I can choose to go. I can choose to stay. So he, I, but then you know when you transition to um, look at Second Timothy, his mindset is like I fought a good fight. Yep, finished the course, kept the faith. That's and the thing. Now he course. says, now I'm ready. Mm -hmm. Now see, he says when he's here, he's torn. Mm -hmm. But if you read Second Corinthians, I think Second Timothy, um, I think around chapter four, he's like. I'm ready now. I know I'm gonna finish my course. I've done all God told me to do. Now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to see this crown. Right now, I think as Kevin was saying, now he said, "I'm ready to get out of this body now." <laughs> but he was felt like I'm, I've completed everything, and I'm like him. I don't want to leave until I know I've exactly. completed my assignment. When he let you know when your assignment is done, and if, you know it's miraculous. He stayed here as long as he did. Because when he talks about his testimony, yeah. a day and night in the sea, whipped 39 times, three times. Yeah, right. In unselfishness, because the things he endured for the sake of preaching the gospel, and mm -hmm. he chose to stay. Right. Right. And right. endure more. And all I did was laying in the bed with a vampire trying to suck blood out of my veins. But so I wouldn't have left if I died. Because you'd have beat me all up. I'd have got there. I wouldn't have looked very good. So I had to. <laughs> so he would have had to wait for his glorified body. I got yeah. it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she told me, she, you ain't dying leaving me here by myself. <laughs> she took the authority right there. She man. did. She did. That's funny. Let's go to Second Timothy. And, and you'll see the difference here. Second Timothy 4. And I'm going to start at verse 1 and we'll go all the way down. 
to verse 7. 2 7? Mm-hmm. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 7. And this is Paul, you know, he, he's talking to Timothy the last time. I'm, I'm going to read this in the New Living. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, whom will some someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. For I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I remain faithful. Verse 8, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So now here you see a man that has finished his assignment. He has that, that assurance and peace. That the mission is complete. Now, how satisfying do you can you imagine that it is to be in that place? Mm -hmm. To be in that place of peace and to, to know me yeah, my 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 mission has been completed. Now, I'm I'm looking at. Look at what he's saying here in the very beginning in these first few verses, though, before he gets to that point. What he's telling Timothy. All right. For there's a time coming where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. All right. So is that is any of that a little familiar? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's either today in the church, it's either this crazy grace thing where like, you know, it's way over here, or then it's this like super duper law over here. And it's not like teaching the truth anymore. You know? Everybody's competing with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of being one with each other. Yeah. Then. I know the itching first thing when I was brought up, my mom would probably agree. She probably felt that way. I'm sure a lot of us you know here where that was referred to like Oh, uh, you know, you just, you know, you have itching ears when you hear all this good stuff, and God, it's really harsh, and this and that. It's like, that's not what that means. <laughs> you know, I mean, it could mean anything. You know, your ears are itching for something that is not good. It could be either one extreme or the other. And you come into a relationship with God through Jesus, and you realize it's, it's a balance and everything. <laughs> you know, but yeah, we see that a lot, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm listening to Julie, and, and I'm hearing her say, "You, your ears can be itching for law. 
sounds kind of like I know that's not what you're Right. Right. Because it, I mean, you know, it, it, it satisfies the, the religious the religious self. Checklist. Uh-huh. But you notice that, you know, Paul is, is telling Timothy this in the end, you know, so obviously this is something that he wants to make sure Timothy is, has a grasp of. Now, looking at verse six, where he says, for I'm now ready to be offered. And the King James says, the time of my departure is at hand. And then you go back to first Philippians, Philippians 1, 21, where he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. So how much contentment and peace is in that statement? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Yeah. So you can't lose. So either or, it's a win. So if, if having that reality, like if we really walked in that revelation on a day-to-day basis, like if that was in the forefront of like of our minds, Will we be fearful, sad about anything? Mm-hmm. We would live like Jesse Duplantis. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, just, you know, for real. Right? All right. Yeah. Well, the resurrection, the resurrection changed everything. These, these guys were hiding out. Once the resurrection happened, they became lions. Because they realized death couldn't touch them. But they, they realized that death couldn't. Couldn't, uh, couldn't hurt him after Christ resurrected. And that's when all the uh, apostles, became, they became lions. They weren't afraid to die or be put in jail or being beaten or anything. They, they knew. I bet you Paul intensified it, though, even more. Because Paul like knew Jesus on a spiritual level versus he didn't even physically see him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I've heard that before where they said it's really interesting on how Paul wrote like most of the New Testament we purpose teachings before people, different ones that taught touched on it. Mm-hmm. Yet he never met Jesus like face to face person. I think even Andrew Womack talked about that. You know, and then he was saying, you know, because Andrew was saying it took more faith like to believe Jesus was the Messiah than being in your face before the resurrection. And that was like Oh, you know, but I mean, you know, like Paul, he only saw Jesus and he saw him in that vision when he repented. But, you know, like he just talked to God every day. Just imagine if you had a real good friend that you saw die. Let's just say he got ran over by a tractor trail and you saw his body mangled, everything like that. And two days later, he's knocking on your door saying the resurrection's real. Here, feel, feel me. I'm real. I'm a real spirit, big being. Would you be on fire? Could anything slow you down? I mean, that's what they went through. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But didn't Jesus say that though about faith? You know, the one who can not see yet believe. Yes, yes. Blessed is the one who is not seen yet believe. Right. Because yeah. you know them them guys ate fish sandwiches with Jesus. 
Andrew will talk about it all the time, too. He'll say that there's so many things he's seen and had God touch him and do things. He goes, I'm not going to talk about them. He goes, because y'all are going to make a doctrine out of it. He's like, he'd rather go on the word and what the word says. Mm -hmm. Andrew used to get graphic. He said, they knew what Jesus' B.O. smelled like. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he used to say stuff like that. He smelled, he needed a bath, and yet they had the ones like, this is the Messiah. (laughs) So they were all out there in hundred and some degree weather in the desert. You think they smelled Mm -hmm. good? (laughs) Hmm. I mean, you know, that that is a reality that, you know, you're thinking about, like, like, wow. You think Messiah would be divinity, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like cologne yeah. or more back with a little yeah. sachet. Yeah, instead of walking, he just floated yeah. across the ground. You know? mm-hmm. his, his gowers is yeah. white all the time. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Right. But like Gene said, though, you know, you think about Peter and James and all them. You know, they, they walk with him, mm-hmm. you know, talk with him, ate them fish sandwiches with him. Right. And then they see the crucifixion. And next thing you know, Resurrection for forty days. He's, he's there, back. like, and they can like physically see him. You know, you you're not gonna be the same. Uh uh-uh, uh, you're never gonna be the same. All right, but then you you look at their experience versus Paul. They rolled to Damascus. Damascus, experience, yeah. Right, and he's like, Paul is thinking that he is doing a work for the Lord mm-hmm. by persecuting mm-hmm. by the very him, yeah. the very church. That God it will, will will use Paul to develop, right? Yeah, he was so set too on gotta get it done, gotta get it right, gotta get it done, you know. And then just bet you that vision's went. Mm-hmm. But think about it though, like how masterful like the Lord's for for knowledge is. Like who better to use as a vessel? To teach grace than a than an ex chief expert in the law. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Upside down kingdom. No, Paul. He seemed to really, really walk, really, really close with the Lord. And you know, I I hear, you know, I've heard, um, you know, stories about it, Paul, like that are not in scripture and. I've always been kind of leery of those things because I would think like, okay, it's not in scripture, you know, how much can we believe on it? You know, like, you know, Paul was beheaded when he traveled from Jerusalem to Rome or whatever, you know, hear things like that. And I'm thinking like, well, you know, that really don't really honestly line up with scripture, especially I was just looking at the end of this chapter we was looking at when he says he knows the Lord will deliver him from every evil word and preserve him unto his heavenly kingdom. So they kind of don't really go along with that. I don't know if anybody else ever heard that, a story like that, you know, concerning Paul. And so I think about, you know, the, the gentleman that was um, waiting for the Lord's coming and he you know, the Lord had revealed to him that he would not depart from this life until after he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then after he saw him, and then he said, uh, I think his words were, you know, let thy servant now depart in peace. Was it you know? Simeon. Simeon. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, that, so that, that's just kind of always kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I hear somebody talk about that with Paul and like, yeah, Paul was going down the you know, he was killed or beheaded or whatever, you know, like, well, maybe, but it's not really in scripture. And it might be something contrary to that, that last verse in chapter four, verse 18 on Timothy and second Timothy. But if anybody have any, anything else, you know, out of the scripture or anything that support either one, I'll, you know, love to hear it. I heard a guy that did a study and at one time Paul was, he was either stoned or he was, or he was, uh, whipped but after that after that he was he preached somewhere that was 19 miles away from where he was so he had to walk after being uh i think it was he was stoned and very few people lived through that and he got up and walked 20 miles and then preached two sermons the next day and this guy got it all from scripture you know, yeah the amount of time and distance from where he was and what happened so i mean he was he was uh, I think it goes past human strength. I think it was just miraculous stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like, I think, Iconium or one of those places him and I think Barnabas came out of and they stoned him. But that, yeah, that sounds really, uh, really lines up with that scripture and that story in that town. And the he same was thing, in. you get whipped 39 stripes. Most people didn't live through that. And he had that happen to him three times. So he was, God was preserving him. Mm -hmm. All right, let's, um, let's look at that real quick. Let's look at verses 16, 17, 18, 2 Timothy 4. All right. So I don't, I don't have um, Fox's Book of Mortars in front of me. So, but I believe... Now, let's just read this, 16 to 18. I'm going to read in, in the New Living. It's real plain here. It says, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. Verse 17, But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength, so that I may preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. So, ba so basically, now you see here how he's talking about, you know, how he has been rescued in the past. And we've already, you know, we're aware of all of the attacks, all the things that happened to him. That scripture outlines shipwrecked, stoned. When he got bit by that, you know, in prison, when he got bit. By that, that venomous um, snake. And he says, and he rescued me from certain death. In verse 18, yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, the question here is now I honestly had to do a little more digging in verse 18 to, to, to look at that verse to see specific context of how to how to properly interpret that. Because if you go back to where we were 
in verse 6 and 7, you can see him conceding. Where he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. So, you know, he's saying here in verse 7, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I remain faithful. So now... We know that the enemy has an agenda to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Now, men who are trying to see the gospel stopped, hindered, what are they going to try to do to people that are proclaiming the gospel? Mm -hmm. They're going to try to quiet their voice. If not, you know, permanently, at least temporarily, right? Now, obviously, Paul, he, you, you, you can imagine how many devils he stirred up, mm -hmm. right? So even if, let's say, him being beheaded, and let's say that's, that is historically accurate, that doesn't negate what he's saying in verse 18. Now, what he's saying here is, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. What, what I think, what he meant in context is, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna die from this. I'm gonna be delivered. In other words, he's not he's not gonna die. And you can tell by all the stuff he went through that he was close to death, but he never died. I think that's what he meant by being delivered. Because he suffered terrible persecution, but he didn't die, and he should have died a dozen times. Mm -hmm. But think about now think about let's say you remember what what the Lord said. No man take of my life. But I lay it down. He had to. He had to lay his life down because he wasn't in a place. He, he, you know, he was sinless. Sin did not have any hold on him. Death did not have any hold on him. It looks like he gave Paul that same choice. So think, but think about think about the type of intimacy and relationship that Paul had with, with the Lord, right? So if Jesus laid his life down then you could see you I this is this is what I can see in interpreting this if Paul is Paul's in a place when he's writing this letter where he sees his mission being complete so when those who those persecutors come to do their do their work to execute him, he's not in a place where he's resisting that. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I'm reading. That's what I see. Now again, you know, I can't like don't don't make that a stone cold doctrinal truth. Because I mean, I but this based on what I'm seeing, what I'm reading here, this is the way I, I would interpret it. Mm -hmm. I was getting ready to say that. I actually agreed. I was going to recommend that, you know, possibly that it might be Paul just finally, he could have, you know, pushed forward. A little well, the other scripture, when he said, I, I don't know, I could choose to be here, it'd be better for you, or I can leave. Like It's like he could lay his life down when he wanted to. Right. And when he says, the Lord delivered me from every evil work, I think what he meant was, they didn't kill me. Because he certainly was was uh, tortured and beaten and all the other stuff that went with it, but he, ne he never died. Yeah. Because he didn't want to lay his life down at that time. 
but it had to be very tempting. Somebody standing over you with a rock that big and size of a bowling ball. You have to be saying, Lord, this would be a good time to go. You know? Yeah. True. Right. But he was moved with compassion. Yes. Yes, he was. Because right? he knew the mission wasn't complete. And see, you know, and we when we talk, we talking like this about Paul and the the level of relationship and intimacy he had with the Lord and the, the way his where his head was at, just to put it in simple terms, where his head was, it's it's like so foreign to the mm -hmm. everyday mm -hmm. American hustle and bustle. I mean, it's like it's convicting me just going through all this. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. Like the type of stuff we worry about on a day to day basis. You know, you have to think about it and say, I missed the mark somewhere. I'm not right. there. I because, want to be there. I'm not there yet. Because I mean, the way the way the man is speaking here, mm -hmm. you know, his, what his focus is, and the the level of peace he has is, you know, it you can't get that without deep intimacy. I was thinking about kind of like the subject matter this week and I even got to um what I gotta say about Paul. It's funny because he pops in my mind when we're talking about this. That you know, a lot of times we think, I don't know what his prayer life was like, I don't know how he did it back then, but a lot of times in the church setting we get the idea that we not that a prayer class is not good, that's the way you talk to God into the time, but that we're taught that you have to pray like in a box, you know, like here, but like a lot of these people, like Paul and different other like biblical people, they were just doing things, tending their garden or tending their flock, and they were just talking to God all day or all the time. Yeah, or like Abraham, you know, God just talked to him. And I remember Aunt Jesse playing speaker with him. He made it really like his comical little touch he does, but it was funny. He was like, you know, people were probably asking Abraham, like, why are you leaving? Why are you going? I don't know. Well, well, who told you? I heard a voice, you know, like thank God, I just kind of like tapped him on the shoulder one day and I was like, you need to go, you need to do this. Hey, I'm going to give you a kid, you know. Wow, really? I don't know. Look at you Noah. Know. They said, what are you building? He said, boat. And everybody looked at him and said, what's a boat? Yeah, and exactly. Rain. And then, you know, like with Paul, I thought, yeah, he was like, we may think, you know, it was like, he just kind of like, you got up in the morning and just like spent five hours praying. Maybe, maybe he did. But I mean, they said, what, he tent, he did tent making on the side, I think, historically, you know. Mm -hmm. I think he prayed you know, without ceasing. I, I think he just, you know, he I talked about praying tongues, time, right? you know, more than all y'all. I think he just praising God, talking yeah. to him, like, yeah. Oh, I think that's a beautiful morning to make a tent. I'm going to do this. Thank you. I got some way to make some extra income on the side to support the ministry, blah, blah, blah. Praying tongue, you know, it, natural, you know. Organic. <laughs> mm. Makes yeah. you want to walk into a church that's got a lot of money and throw the pastor a piece of canvas and some thread and say, Why don't you start making tents, dude? Instead of asking everybody for money. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> I was like, Stop making this so this structure. It's like just. Maybe he didn't apologize. Or was it to somebody because he did not receive from them? Somebody he once, he once said. He apologized because they didn't give him anything? No, it wasn't that, that he didn't. There was one of them who said he wouldn't be charged uh, by any man. In other words, he wasn't going to take anything from anybody. Yeah. He's going to work and support it. Yeah, that's Corinthians, what he's talking about. You know, because when, when that whole argument of um, whether 
servants of the Lord are to, to receive. Mm-hmm. They live by the word. They live by the word, right? But, but balance that you don't tread, you don't muzzle the ox. You don't muzzle, yeah, you don't muzzle the ox, yeah. right? Yeah. So obviously, you know, the, the person, you know, individuals that are feeding spiritual meat, you know, that are teaching, they are worthy of mm-hmm. natural compensation. He talks about that in, in Galatians, right? But of course, what have, what what have carnal men do? What have they done? Mm-hmm. Taken advantage and listen to the enemy and use that to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And it it is just remarkable how many people have been hurt by that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh man, you mean I meet them all the time. And it's like you know, and you know, and I, I can't say too much, but you know, you know the profession I'm in, so I hear that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's just crazy the type of manipulation and stuff that goes on. And I'm like, how do y'all sleep at night doing that type of stuff? Andrew talked about it one time. He was in a service and um, the pastor said he wasn't going to let anybody leave or the leader, whoever it was, so they gave money. <laughs> and he said somebody stood and was angry and just goes, it must have been like God in the business suit. So you can tell he had the money. He was just like, oh, I'm just going to give somebody so I can leave. And Andrew thought it was like ridiculous. He didn't, obviously. I saw a guy taking an offering and he was asking him to write checks, and there was a line of people in front of him. And he would open the check and read the amount while the person was standing there. So that, that gave people in the audience incentive to write bigger checks. And I watched that, and I thought, somebody needs to put you in prison, like, right now. Not tomorrow, right now. Somebody should drag you down. But he was, he was there's a couple standing there, and he'd open it up and say, 5,000, that's a nice seed. He'd lay it aside. He'd take the next one up. And he just, he, he did it yeah, for an hour. Right. But now you see, we talking about these charlatans versus Paul's ministry. Mm-hmm. You, you talk about somebody who has a true, real, rich, intimate relationship with the Lord and somebody who don't, mm-hmm. who has a, somebody who has a, a rich, intimate relationship with, with money, with mammon, right? It's a big difference. God is cleaning house right now. <laughs> and he does it in the most firm, general way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, most of the time, if the pastors have sinned publicly, he chastises them publicly. If it's something that's been done secretly, and, and he, he, he does it under the table. So it just depends on your ministry. Go back to Philippians 1. Looking at verses 22 and 23. I'm, I'm going to read this in the Amplified. It says, If, however, it is to, to be life in the flesh, and I am to live here, that means fruitful service for me. So I can say nothing. As to my personal preference, I can't choose. But I'm hard pressed between the two. My yearning desire to depart, to be free of this world, to set forth and be with Christ, for that is far, far better. Now again, this this you you not talking like this. If you don't know him. Mm-mm. But 
like Terry was saying before, though, you know, how unselfish and compassionate that is to have a revelation. Because remember in 2 Corinthians about the visions that he has seen, mm -hmm. the things that the type of things Paul was, was mm -hmm. privy to, what he saw, right? Is this, is this the man that wrote this? Mm -hmm. So obviously there's a strong pull to be where he, he, he saw, but yet his, his love, his desire to share the gospel was so rich that he he's in this place of wrestling. Like, and he knew he was going to be either beaten, whipped, changed, going to have to run from people sometimes. I mean, he, he knew what, what that, in preaching that gospel, he knew what the payment was, that devil that was following him around trying to kill him. And he was still saying, it's better for me to stay. <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he, he was obviously, he didn't have his eyes on himself. No, uh-uh. He think about the people. Right. And that's verse 24 where he says, but to remain in my body is more needful and essential for your sake. And then for 25 in the Amplified, he says, since I'm convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and stay by you all to promote your progress and joy in believing. You see the commitment, right? To see the discipleship, to see them develop. Sounds like he has a tremendous amount of confidence also that I think Gene had said he's decided not to depart, so he's not going to depart. Yeah, he knew there was a price to pay for, for staying. What a guy. All right, let's jump over to um, Philippians 3. And I'll start at verse I'll start at verse one and we'll go all the way down to eleven. And again, this is just highlighting, connecting like how the the level of intimacy that Paul had with the Lord and where his where his his focus was and where it wasn't. In the New Living Translation says, whatever happens, my, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Verse 2, watch out for, dog, for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. All right. 
Now, like I was saying earlier, you know, how, how the Lord chose this man to be the apostle of grace to the Gentiles. Look at verse five. It says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. So you see how the revelation of the the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, what he, what he done, what he has done, what he has accomplished, how it just puts all this other stuff in perspective, all this highlights, the pedigree. Verse 8, he said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. So you see how that the revelation of God's grace, how it it opened him up, and how it just it shifts focus from the external world to the internal. God got on me one time in a good way. I mean, you know, he never condemns us, but he puts it, you know, he gets our attention. I have you know, when you were saying, Julius, that God used Paul to reach the very, you know, like he, very people, you know, he was like persecuting stuff anyway. It made me think, I know, speaking of like religion and the grace and all that stuff, the mom does this. One time, a couple of years ago, I was just coming out of stuff and I was like realizing God's love to a deeper level and stuff and struggling with some things. But anyway, I was like, you know, I was talking to God, or I was talking, I was just thinking, going along, and I go, I hate dealing with religious people. I said, I hate religious people. I just I was like, I hate dealing with that, and blah, 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 blah. I was saying all this stuff, and I heard, you were one of them. <laughs> I go, it was out of nowhere. I go, yeah, okay, God, I hear you. And then he dealt with me, like, one time, too. I was kind of thinking the same thing, you know, a couple weeks later or whatever. Same line of thought. It was like, God, you know, it's like, you know, thing about ministering to, you know, people who dealt with religion. I was like, oh my gosh, I really have to listen to that. You know, kind of complaining and murmuring. Mm -hmm. And I felt like in my spirit was like, a hand touched my face. 
and like God was crying almost, not like crying, you know, like tearing up. It's like, if I hadn't have rescued you, where would you be? And it really, you know, I'm gonna say I don't still struggle sometimes. We all do with things irritating us, but it kind of gave me a different perspective. It was like, God, you know, let's see how people hurt me. Have you ever noticed that women are the target of uh, religious thinking more than anything else? You're targeted for wearing makeup or jewelry or the way your hair is cut or the clothes you You're wear. To the party. I mean, I mean, these guys go after women big time. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. It is. It's a struggle because you will have one person have a revelation and mm. write a book, and then you have one person have another revelation and write a book, and then it's supposed to be your revelation. And then it's like, not that there's no standard, but it's like. Get the relationship going. God will show you what you're supposed to I, do. I know, I know a couple that was in a church meeting, and the pastor came out and said, I cannot start to sit this service because there's someone here that's really out of sorts with God. Until they come forth, I won't start the service. Wow. Well, he made him sit there about 20 minutes, and then he dismissed the service. And he was standing at the door shaking hands with everybody. And this woman that I know, she was probably 60 at the time with her husband. She got up and she goes, Gosh, I really, what in the world will stop service? And he said, sister, you know it's you. And she said, what? She had a short sleeve blouse on. And, and he stopped the service for that. Oh, my God. Yes. That's horrible. So that, holiness church? Yeah, it was holiness church. Andrew Womack talked about with Jamie, and she's, oh, she's so classy for us. I've yeah. never met her, but I mean, you know, she was in Charlotte when we met him, but I've seen her, you know, on the lives and things. I think, well, she's such a classy lady, and he said it. He goes, um, a guy come up to him one time with him to think he thought he had the authority to go to Andrew, who was your husband, but you ought to not let your wife dress that way. And he's like, he was telling the way he was measuring, he goes, she wasn't dressed that she probably had a little makeup on or something. And he was just like, who made you God? <laughs> you know, yeah, I, mean, I don't really, care. It's really awful. Some, it is. Some of the stuff they do. Oh, we catch, oh yes, we catch it horrible, yes. <laughs> I heard a guy say that uh, mixed swimming was a sin. So if men and women went in the same pool or the same lake, that was sinful. And he said, I would no sooner sw have swim in a mixed swimming area than I would take a bath with your wife. I mean, this guy, was a he was angry over swimming. Hmm. Okay. All right. Let's see. Now we go here. I was just going to say, is that Satan really just doing his best to persecute women because a woman gave birth to the Christ child? Uh, I think that's part of it. There you go. Let's see, Kevin. I can always count on him to go yeah, deep for Kevin, us, yeah. man. He's going to go deep for us. So let's go there. Let's go to Genesis. Genesis 3. All right. And let's start with verse 13, Genesis 3. All right, and I'll, hmm. I'm going to read it in the Amplified and then in the New Living. It's not in verse 13. It says, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled, cheated, outwitted, and deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all domestic animals. And above every wild living thing of the field, upon your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust and, and what it contains all the days of your life. Verse 15, look at this. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
in between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise and tread your head underfoot and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your grief and your suffering in pregnancy and the pangs of childbearing with spasms of distress. You will bring forth children. Yet your desire and craving will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now look at in verse verse 15 in the New Living Translation, he says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I have a question on verse 15. Who's Satan's offspring? It's her seed and his seed. Mm-hmm. Huh? That's a good question, I think. Yeah. I, think uh, I think the gospel answers that. And uh, when the Pharisees, uh, they're accusing Jesus of something, and then he says to them, you're, you're not Abraham's, you're your father to the devil. You're not Abraham's seed. I think it's John. I'm not sure. Yeah, John. Yeah, it's John. All right. Let's see. We doing what we do. We deviating all <laughs> on, this, on, this, on this rabbit trail. But it, you know what? But really, it does. It does kind of tie. You can tie it together because when you know when we talking about women like being a target for the mm-hmm. enemy, you can see it started right here. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and because because who did who did the serpent come after? Mm-hmm. He he goes to Adam. He went to who? He went to Eve. I've been to several of those meetings. I've never heard him criticize man's clothes uh, or man's jewelry. Only women. Because see, and you see, he says, "I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring." And you see that every time some a woman gives birth, it is a fulfillment of God's original purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. That's beautiful. Right. Yeah. And the 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 avenue by which man will be re- reunited into relationship with God. How did Jesus come into the world? Through Mary's womb. Right. So no wonder there's a, such an attack on women and this the seed. Yeah, I don't know when they talking about women or what as far as women wearing too much makeup, they use just a bit as a as an example. But then I remember I was somebody said it to me and and I went and read it. I said, well, okay, you go read this. And I don't know why we do that because all she said was just bear she when she was about to get killed, he said she painted her face and did her hair. It didn't say she overdid it. It just said she painted her face and did her hair. And, and, and uh, originally so once, originally they said the word uh, 
uh, there'll be enmity between her seed and your seed, right? Well, these guys that have all this enmity against women, where's that coming from? Now, these are pastors and pulpits that are coming against women. They have to ask themselves, where's this anger coming from? You know? Yeah. I had a girl that I, she used to be a customer when I worked at um, a, um, an underwear clothing store I used to work at. And God used her. Um, it was amazing. I mean, at first we were just fellowship. I thought she was a believer. She knew I was. And I noticed she had like a lot of tattoos and stuff, really pretty stuff. And I asked her about it and I was breaking out. I knew being religious and you have to dress this way and all that stuff. I knew it was not good anymore, but it still was scary mm -hmm. for me. I was in like that transitional phase. And she was just like, yeah, and I asked her about one of her tattoos. And it was like a caricature thing, but it said like new in Christ. And I mean, she loved makeup. She loved like, we, we saw hosiery. She loved tights and patterns. She was very, very, very bright and, you know, like colors and stuff. And I mean, this girl, you know, talking about talking with God and stuff. I, maybe she came out with some religious stuff, but she came to the store one day. I was struggling with something. I didn't tell anybody. Nobody that my mother knew. It was about God being real, some stuff. And she came in one day randomly. This girl lived in Virginia Beach, which I, I worked in Williamsburg. And she goes, I really just felt I needed to come in here today to visit with you, Julie. She already gave me stuff. She gave me a scripture. I'm like, I'm like, hey, you know, she's a Christian. She, she talked with God all the time. You know, I mean, it's not about that. Just <laughs> made an impression on me. Yeah, God sent somebody to rescue you, and they may not even have been a Christian. You know, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. I know one ministry. They had uh, this guy I met, and. Uh, you know, he wanted us to come to the church, do service, you know, and then when he found when he found out my mom was a minister, he canceled the service. Yeah. Says, female. Yeah. Yeah, it's female. It's horrible. Like, it is so sad. I didn't know. I mean, I, I didn't dispute it. I was like, okay. What's the word say about your sons and your daughters shall prophesy? That word prophesy includes preaching. But the word says your sons and your daughters. And then they used to say the religion will try it, like religious belief. I remember one time a minister talked about it. He was very right on this, where it said to be a minister, you had to be a, the husband of one wife. Right. And they tried, like, you know, the church settings tried to use that. And, like, Against divorce. About it. But it's like, if that was true, if you want to get really technical, then Paul would have been exempt because he didn't have a wife. If you want to go, well, you have to have a wife. No, no, it didn't mean that. It just meant one you wife. could have multiple spouses. It meant one wife at a time. <laughs> yeah, multiple spouses, not, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. This is why you got to read things in context. Mm -hmm. right. Then sometimes you got to look up the history, the history of it, because the history is, might be different than what you think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The culture. Because you project Western ideas into Eastern writing. Right. Yeah, for one, in our culture, we wouldn't have more than one wife because it's against the law. Oh, yeah, it's illegal. But we wouldn't even look at that and go, like, like of course, die. <laughs> and those people that were sacrificing their babies to bail. I mean, today you can't even comprehend that in your mind. You know, throwing a, a little baby in there and hearing it scream and carry on. But back then, it was going on all over the place. Yeah. And what you you see how cultures just accept things. Yeah. Yeah. And you you see how. As we talk about the different things that, you know, we, we see in culture and how 
you know, women in church settings and religious settings have been oppressed and just um, persecuted for silly stuff, Mm. right? And you think about, okay, what is the focus? It's on externals, right? Mm -hmm. Things we can see. It's not about us discerning a, a person's relationship with the Lord, right? Because again, you don't you don't have you don't see Paul and, and Peter and them having these types of things promoted in their mm-hmm. letters, right? Because if 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 the whole Maybelline thing was so serious, he would have he would Peter would have called it out. It would have been very plain. Thou shalt not wear Maybelline. <laughs> it would have been very clear. You have the spirit of Maybelline. Mm-hmm. Come out. I told mom over and over. I said, I know a lady, a um, good friend of mine, and she's talked about her church and stuff, and they have the very strict beliefs, especially about the women's clothing. And right. She's talked about like the ages and stuff. And she'll talk about, yeah, well, we have a youth group, and then we have like the not not culture, the career kind of do like 40 plus age, but there's really not a lot of 20 somethings and even like 30 somethings. She's very rare in there. And I, I don't ever say this. I love her to death, but I think to myself, I go, every one of these young ladies who have been in youth group and they church like that, and I kind of get a little sarcastic about it, but it's kind of real. When they are 18 and 27 years old, I always say this to mom, she goes, say, I promise you, they bought lipstick. Promise you, you know, because, you know, you're raised in that, you're a teenager. You when you're told you can't have something, it makes you want it Yes, and then when you get to be like 27, they're like, yeah. I, what is the purpose of this? And then they kind of explore, you know? All right. You know? I grew up with a bunch of Italians, and every house you went into, there was a bottle of red wine on the table. And those boys I grew up with, they didn't, they didn't Drinking wasn't a big thing to them. Yeah. They'd have a glass of wine at dinner, but they didn't go out and get drunk because it wasn't a forbidden taboo thing. Yeah, the other guys, that yeah. it was, they did. They went out and got drunk. Andrew's been to so many places, and he talked about, he goes, like, one area, you know, you could smoke, but if you drink, you go, you make a right. Like, you did, you went straight to hell. He goes, you did not pass go. You did not collect 200, but then you go to another area, and vice versa. Right. And it's like, right. we make up stuff that we have to really think. Hmm. I heard a guy talking about somebody from uh, Europe, like a year, hundred years ago, came over here, and when they went back, and they were in their churches crying and saying, "The women in America, they all look like harlots with their makeup and their jewelry." And they said these men were crying, and their tears were running down their cigars and dripping into their beer. <laughs> so this tells you different cultures, the different cultures' ideas of what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and at the end of the day, this is why the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit yes. to guide our decision making, you know, because now, you know, think about, OK, uh, he, he mentioned his cigars, cigarettes. OK, now you you smoke a carton every day or whatever. You smoking packs every day for years. Gonna what's what's they going to do to you? It's going to destroy your physical body, yeah, right? Kill you. Yeah. Right? Same thing with the beer and the wine, right? Yeah. 
You you know you drinking pints every day. It'll age you. I've known people. All Everybody the... thinks I'm 22 when they meet me, and I'm like, wow. And I go, I think it's because a lot of not all, but a lot of 30 like three year olds. But but things are things are age you. That, that's right, yeah, right, and, and that's the thing. And you know, and but we get caught up on trying to put up these prohibitions, and then try to project that stuff on other people, mm-hmm. right? Because the, the Holy Spirit knows He knows you, and He knows the people that you are going to be around. He knows your triggers, right? Yeah. So he's the one that's gonna guide you to say, hey, okay, you 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 don't you leave that Miller light alone or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Because he know you and the type of demons that have 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 traced your lineage and the type of you know these habits and these things, these familiar spirits, these things that have been a part of your bloodline that if you start getting involved in it, guess what? It's going to make you go left real fast, right? For some person, for one person, that'd be alcohol or somebody else. They may be going out to nightclubs, going out to, you know, um, these, these just restaurants where there's, there's um, jazz and stuff playing and people, you know, having dinner and drinking wine and all that type of stuff. You know, it... Different people have different sensitivities and different weaknesses and trappings, right? But it's not my job, not your job, mm. to project your prohibitions on me and vice versa. That's that's not right. But we we get into the habit of doing that, and then they all of us looking like hypocrites because well, I'm pointing the finger at, at you because you got your shoulder out on or something, and then <laughs> yeah. and then. And, but then you looking at me because you saw me get get a get a um, a liter of wine at, at food line. It's like, yeah. well, you you know, and and we bickering over that foolish stuff. Yeah, I used to go to a church and and when the new people came in, I'm talking about young people, you know, 18, 19, 20, When they came in and they sat in front of me, I'd have to leave because the women would wear real tight halter tops and you know real tight jeans and stuff. But what I noticed was. After this, these couples have been coming to church four, five, six months, and nobody said anything to them, their dress would start changing. They would start to become more conservative, and nobody had to tell them. It was just the way it was. But I, I remember I, I used to go up in the front row because I didn't want these, these young curvy things sitting in front of me. You know, at, at that age, it was distracting. Right. And it's discipleship. Like you know, you ain't got to beat people upside the head. Uh-uh. You just allow them. You allow them to experience the love, the love, and you walk. You walk out. Yeah. You walk it out in front of people. Yeah. And then they'll start to model that stuff. Yeah. Right? They'll either, it's true, if you like restrict somebody, it's either going to push them away or they're going to bottle it up so much, you know, that one day it's going to drive them crazy. Like it did me for a while. Thank you, Jesus. Andrew said they had a meeting and there was a lady who started coming to the church who, who wore really almost nothing. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, she said, "I don't have anything to wear, but these this is all I have." Yeah, she and, came out of the nudist colony. Yeah, she said, "All the women in the church said, I got something for you.' Yeah. Everybody went to offer something to wear. Real fast, it was so neat. You know, they let her. <laughs> right. I remember her like they really like it was so hard not to go. Yeah. Right. Do you remember the clothes of the dead? Yeah. They naturally just you know like hey, well, you know when it's inappropriate. Somebody comes in with short shorts and a halter top, and yeah. 
everything's hanging out and they're in church, but they don't know. And if you go, you can be condemning or you can be loving, and the Holy Spirit will convict them. You don't have to do. And it. that's what's important in the relationship too, because sometimes, of course, we know there needs to be correction. But you really pray God will show you who, because Mom and I would talk about a church we used to go to, and it was it's off of clothing, but it's the idea of general acting like a Christian in you know whatever ways. It's like you know some of the kids and these particularly really nasty, really mean. And we, we would hear other growing at their own levels, and we're like, well, how much more do you have to grow? You know, but it was like that's where God knows it's like, hey, this one needs to be talked to, or just let them be worked on. And I go, mm -hmm. same thing with the clothing, and the right. smoke, and all this stuff. He knows which ones, you know. I heard a guy preaching. He was being funny. He like he said, cigarettes can't see the hell, but it make you smell like you've been there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and get so, you there faster. And get you there faster. Yeah. And get you there faster. So, right? But he was just kind of being, he was joking about it. He was like, okay, he's going to have it, but it just, like you said, take it a little faster. <laughs> smell the clothes and all that stuff. Do you think it got to partially this, to this place because so much of the body of Christ, the church, doesn't preach the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Doesn't even believe much in Holy Spirit? And so you have pastors who in no way could trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide the people because they don't teach it. They don't teach how. They don't they teach don't how to be spiritual. They don't know how. Yeah. And that, in fact, they kind of stay away from the working of the Holy Spirit. We have whole mm -hmm. denominations that, mm -hmm. you know, in their creeds, they'll, they'll use Holy Spirit. But Well, I mean, I came up. The Holy it. Spirit was running up and down the aisle, shouting, getting all yeah. emotional. Yeah. Speaking in tongues, and it was limited to that. And yeah. so, if you didn't do those things, or if, you know, if you saw right. somebody doing right. those right. things, then right. that was like, oh, that's the Holy, Holy Spirit. Roller, you know. And you know, <laughs> I, you know, in the quote unquote Baptist Church, you get the Holy Spirit. They fan you like that. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you did. did we used to call it uh, keep getting happy. Yeah, you getting happy. And they and they do their little their funky chicken. You know, you know they was in the spirit when they was doing the funky chicken. Yeah, so you grew up thinking, okay, so yeah. that's yeah. what it was. So when you when they start talking about the Holy Spirit, they didn't talk about the Holy Spirit being a counselor, right. an advisor, or a person, and a person. Mm -hmm. You know, so you know we they never mentioned about being a person, but it was never really um, taught on. You see what I'm saying? Or oh, the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit counseling you and leading you and guiding you and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so that wasn't really dealt with. It's like, oh, she got the Holy Ghost. Look at that. And so you saw some outward sign mm -hmm. of what the Holy Ghost is supposed to do. But as far as being like a person and counseling you and giving you advice and, you know, walking you through things, no. I saw people scream and it looked like they had an epileptic fit. Yeah, and the head's going back and forth, right? And they slide out of the chair onto the floor, and then an the usher runs up and throws a blanket on them, on to cover their legs. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to be, yeah, the Holy See? Spirit operating in their life, right? And I didn't know what it was when I first saw it. I thought they had epilepsy. I thought, oh man, they're gonna call an ambulance soon. But I, then it happened over there, and then it happened over there, and I thought, wow, what's going on? Mm -hmm. I was a young Christian, just thinking these people are all nuts. Yep, and you just imagine you you done, you done brought your your friend to church, and like. Would you like to have an experience with the Holy Spirit? No, like, no, no bro. Yeah. If that's what it is. So, no, sir. Yeah, Y'all, I'm getting out of here. Y'all crazy. It's a dance in the shop. That's a, and that's what it was limited to. You know, you know, the Holy Spirit make you dance and make you shout. And then, and that's what he do. And that's it. 
say like, okay. And then some people say, I don't want to do that. Right. You know, so I took my mom to church one time, and the pastor came out of the pulpit, walking down the aisle with a mic. And he's going, "He wrote about something about you, God." And he's just talking in tongues, just screaming and yelling. Uh, I, my mom said, "What's up?" And I said, "I don't know. This never happens here." <laughs> about a minute later, he said, "What's the matter with you people? This is what we always do." <laughs> After I told her it never happens. It's like we replace, like we were saying, there's like law with relationship because we're not talking relationship, but we have to have some kind of guide. So, you know, it's like, well, here's your Ten Commandments plus, well, the Ten Commandments are going to be, you know, our Ten Commandments plus, and then it's like, mm -hmm. instead of saying, God, what do you think? What do you think of this verse? What is this? What do you have for my life? You know, and even like beyond what the word says, because what do you do with life situations like buying a car, or finding a mate for you, like... There's not a scripture that comes out and says, oh, you know, oh, excuse me, Julie, this guy's name is going to be this, and you need to marry him. It's like, mm -hmm. you got to pray about that. You got to say, God, you know, or you want to wish you have a, thou shalt have a corolla. That's when you, get, you get to the place where you just live all the time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're led into doing what you, what you need yeah, to do. And right, and we'll tie it up here because and, and you see the difference between a spirit-led life and a law-led life. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the, the person of, of Paul, the apostle, and the way he's talking in Philippians, the way he's talking to his, his, his family, his spiritual family, and the way he's talking about his relationship with the Lord, that's somebody who has mm -hmm. a true relationship with mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. And that's who we, and that's a model for us to emulate. Right. Yes. All right, social media family. Thank you once again for joining us. We'll see you next week. Hey, bye, bye everybody. Y'all later. That was a great class. Right. See y'all. <laughs> see you next week. All right. All right.